Welcome to Whack or Slaps, where we look back into the annals of 2000s indie music to determine if an album or band or even entire musical movement was actually good or just a product of the hype machine of its time. This is our inaugural episode. Welcome to it. All right, let's meet the boys least likely to. I'm Caleb, your host. I'm going to keep it moving for the next hour, two hours, however long it takes. Who else do we got on on mic with this? Noah, wild man. Um, Adrian, I am the apologist and true indie believer. That's true. Um, like all great podcasts, uh, th- our, our, this one is a you know direct direct spinoff of a very unhinged and like frankly sketchy group text that's uh, been going on for years. Um, and from that, we decided to do a podcast. And I think the best person to give a little bit more context into like what we're trying to do um, and kind of, yeah, what we'll be doing week to week would be Noah. So Noah, do you want to give us a little tiny bit more background on what our whole deal? Yeah. So, so basically this uh, episode is going to be on Broken Social Scene. The album is Forgot It in People. Those are you forgot it in people. You forgot it in people. See, you forgot that that was the name of the. I was editing. Maybe they need a, maybe they need an editor. You got all those fucking band members. <laughs> Drop the U. It's cleaner. Yeah, yeah, but uh, uh yeah, so, bro, I that, but what's uh kind of just the whole deal of the podcast? What what yeah, was kind of we're looking, uh we're kind of using pitchforkmedia.com as like a jumping off. Condé Nast hit us up sponsorship. Yeah, whatever. Uh, we kind of go off their best new music recommendations throughout the years. And we're basically starting from uh, early 2000s to 2009 and uh, reflecting on an album that had great hype and uh, some personal history for some of us. And uh, Caleb, what did Pitchfork say about this album? Well, you Forgotten People by Broken Social Scene. Ryan Schreiber of the, uh, the Schreibers had to say, the holy grail of people like us in the record that combines outright experimentation and strong hooks, something that engages us mentally while appealing to the instincts that draw us toward pop immediacy. Some of the best records ever have been ones that put these two seemingly disparate elements together. The kind of music shouldn't be hard to come by. It's just that not many artists are able to perfect that balance. Broken Social Scene have and even made it seem effortless. 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 Without effort. Yeah. That's pretty glowing view. And uh, in perfect pitchfork fashion, they gave it a, a 9.2. Whoa. Yeah. Which is actually a 92 because the way they do their... Uh, like the, they do the decimals it's actually out of a hundred point scale if you think about it so that's an a that's a good a i would have been lucky to get that grade um anytime kanye, in our high school kanye level of uh, rating there yeah that's that's up there um and like you were saying and correct me if i'm wrong here adrian uh who's kind of is there a research guy as well 
this was the very first best new music. Um, uh, it ever wasn't the. On, on, it wasn't the very first, but it was like the fourth or so. So very oh, early okay. on, it, it was um, included in the in kind of the best new music canon. It was it was one of the start uh, the starts of that, which is okay. Yeah, so that kind of like started the whole trend of that, and like really was mm-hmm. like where Pitchfork was asserting itself. Um, tastemaker, you know? Yeah, as yeah, as a tastemaker, they kind of moved from early internet like you know internet 1.5 or just more just like just really nerdy people kind of in their basements um just kind of doing personal interest to things that could kind of be a little bit more widespread a little broader and monetized so i think 2002 when that when they put out that rating in this review i think that's kind of a it's a really like noah say it's a really good place to start and you read that review but the review begins with the dude, what's his name? Schreiber. He's the head pitchfork, right? Yeah, founder. The, he's the guy in that picture, American Gothic, holding the pitchfork. That's him. Um. <laughs> <laughs> he's also related to the Leaf and Pablo Schreiber. Ooh. He's our little Twinkie brother. Um, Sounds okay. family. Yeah. Okay. In that album review, but in the beginning of that review, his whole setup is like, I'm digging through boxes of all this shit they send me to the offices. But he's really like kind of almost claiming that he, not claim, I don't know, but it, it, he positioned him, himself as like, I discovered this record. And this is like Pitchfork planting our flag in the ground. Like this is our- Planting our, planting our Pitchfork. Yeah, this is, yeah. Pitching that hay. It's like, this is our fucking album. It's interesting that you say that, Noah, because I've been reading um, this book is broken, which is uh, a, by Stuart Berman. I'm sorry, what was that? It must be hard to read. You can't even open it. It's broken. <laughs> um, it's actually, uh, it's funny because it, it, in the book, uh, which is kind of an oral history of the first three records of the broken social scene put out in sort of their early days, um, they talk about that and how Pitchfork was sort of the first US based publication that actually took them seriously. Before that, they were kind of this huge Toronto band. But um, then, then once that Pitchfork review hit, then people were clamoring for to hear this. And it wasn't even released in the US till later in 2003. So that Pitchfork review was huge for, for getting them for starting the hype machine. And I think it was actually probably, to my memory, one of the first big albums and big bands that was super hyped by Pitchfork. And, sort of kind of broke open thanks to pitchfork yeah and it, it also seems like to me like prior to that era like kind of the sub mainstream indie whatever you want to call it kind of journalism industry a lot of that was based in i want to say the uk with like nme and those kinds of publications and kind of pitchfork was kind of planted their flag stateside yeah. with that kind of just like very kind of like quirky you know very yeah. broad um just say the dip- investigation of the, you know, the underground, you know, whatever that term means. I would say the difference, NME used to try to like really break bands. Like right, they, right. Like this is seminal. And they, and this band played like one show and got like signed to a major label. So right. Pimped them for the, the record company. That was some payola going on. <laughs> right, um, right. I mean, that whole thing, you know, going to, to Europe to break. That, you know, that was still happening at that time. The Strokes did that. A couple of other bands did that. Yeah, 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 did that. But interestingly, 
England did not care, <laughs> did not care about broken social scene. They, um, in fact, they, they like in their glowing, you know, glow, quote unquote glowing review, they basically said that they look like a bunch of pedophiles because <laughs> they had long beards and, you know, they're very Canadian uh-huh. looking. <laughs> so I just, I just think that's like latent animosity that the UK had towards Canada. <laughs> towards the colony because i think it's the one that got away to them like they're like oh you could have the u.s that's a fucking mess i don't want anything to do with that but canada they're like ah they kind of did okay for themselves it's a shame we couldn't capitalize more on that mate they're making the greatest music coming out of of little little brother country um just give us some history of this bad boy because it has a very uh it, it clawed its way into our ears um, yeah, so the record was recorded by the band from uh, around December, January 2001, 2002, early 2002 to July 2002. Uh, it was produced by David Neufeld, who ended up being like really instrumental to the sound of the record. He, they almost considered him, and actually Kevin Drew, the leader, did call him like an additional member of this collective. Uh, up until this point, the band had been putting out uh, the band had already put out one record, Feel Good Lost, which was uh, much more ambient and kind of more soundscapey. And it was basically the work of, of the two leaders, Kevin Drew and Brendan Canning, with a bunch of additional musicians, like all their pals that were part of this Toronto scene that was sprouted, that sprouted out of a bunch of bands at the time. Uh, with this record, they kind of decided to formalize the collective. And so a bunch of these guys, you know, uh, these dudes got together, started recording this, and people would come in and out. You know, they had vocalist Leslie Feist and Emily Haynes. You know, Feist became a huge solo record, uh, solo artist with her record. Mm-hmm. Emily Haynes um, was lead, uh, lead singer of Metric, who also had a lot of success. But they were all kind of streaming in and out, and, you know, whoever was around hey, at the time would come if I, record. If I interrupt real quick, because you're kind of touching on a mini game that I had. Can you guys yeah. name uh, five bands associated with Broken Social Scene? Ooh, okay. Well, I can't because I've been reading about them, but you right. guys. So, Noah, off the top of your dome. Okay, okay. I think I got the stars. That's one. Yep, good. Yeah. You make something. Yeah. Uh, okay, those are like the two heavy hitters. Now I'm blanking. Well, Kevin Drew solo. Yeah, solo counts. <laughs> Uh, Feist, 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 and there's one like kind of a well-known band. I can't like Parallax or something. I think it's a Metric. Metric. But the one that I was, I this, I this came up when I was looking at their Wikipedia page. But this band that has just kind of lost the time is Apostle of Hustle. Oh yeah, Yeah. like quite possibly like one of the stupidest band names ever. Apostle of Hustle. It's like a name from like an indie band generator, like <laughs> like a GeoCities, like early randomizer kind of technology. I can tell you exactly where Apostle of Hustle came from. Um, so Apostle of Hustle is uh, this dude. Uh, I, his name is escaping me. I believe it's like something Whiteman or something like that, of course. But uh, sure it was a uh, basically <laughs> the joke was that like Typical. this dude was just constantly working, constantly doing odd jobs just to to get together and make music so they ended up calling him the apostle of hustle so and actually it's funny that you mentioned all these bands but you didn't name the one 
band that actually is connected directly to this record. I mean, the band that one of these songs is named after, which is oh, yeah. Accidental. Right, right. Oh, right. okay. That's a band. Too. Did they buy that song title from Pavement or something? <laughs> Um, so actually, okay, that's, that's interesting to, to way to segue back into the history because Casey Accidental was sort of the, the precursor to Broken Social Scene. Um, and I was listening to the Casey Accidental record earlier today. It's, it's really good, but it is much more ambient and droney and there's longer songs, you know, 10 minute songs and it's kind of missing some of those elements that would come in with this record, uh, which was an intentional for the band to kind of bring in more rock sensibility, more pop sensibility to this record. Um, I think that they had kind of gotten, um, they, they put it on themselves to kind of do something different. I think with the first record, Feel Good Lost, they're veering into Do Make Say Think kind of territory. You know, who, Do Make Say Think are a great, great band, um, post-rock band, and they're in, you know, instrumental primarily. So I'm more that first, personally. <laughs> like so, uh with this band once they expand you know kind of solidified their membership with like 10 11 members and and started experimenting like the the song structures emerged which you know before it was much looser and then now here this record has songs with verses and choruses and and bridges and you know there's vocals you know that's a huge thing for this record The, the first record had some some vocals and you know feist is on it i think emily haynes is on it and couple of others but for the most part it it's instrumental and when the vocals are part of the song it's it's subdued it's submerged right for this it's it's still kind of submerged but they brought it forward and that was definitely something that they you know that they intentionally did um and you know reflecting on the fact that that there's all these new sounds on this record that because all these you know new play these players that they were working with were able to play a bunch of new instrumentation you know uh, brass instruments and and you know stringed instruments so it was a really expanded sonic palette and uh, Kevin Drew said uh, around the time of the record that he was scared to see if people were going to embrace the idea of a whole shitload of sounds on one album um, and when you listen to it it does give you that feel right of kind of eclectic Wait, 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 wait. This guy was scared. He's like, they're not gonna, they're gonna die when they listen to this. It's scary shit man there's like 12 instruments like you ever heard of jazz you fuck (laughs) well i think that um i think that the the thing with that is is that canadian like they're scared (laughs) easily it actually it's funny that you say say that because every story in this fucking book is basically like oh yeah we got mad at each other but then you know we had a couple beers and smoked a joint and you know we got back together like every other story is like that and they're all like fucking each other and they're all you know it, it was kind of this whole little scene of just like a broken all these bands writing. working together and playing together and it you know and then this, this and broken soldier scene was the one that kind of hit large yeah this is kind of like an or orgiastic type album <laughs> you know it has, Yo, what uh what word of a day what word of a day calendar are you using is that today's word? Orgiastic? Orgiastic, yes. That's a good, that's a good drop, dude. Um, I uh, So we're talking about the members of this band. I heard it was at one point there's 18 touring members on some of the gigs. So I called this big band indie. This is like 
Canada's answer to the Glenn Miller Miller band. <laughs> Noah, that like that is perfect segue. Adrian, thank you so much for the background. It like really sets it up. Like not only what's going on in Canada and other music, and like once I go through my reflections on, I think I'll get more to like what was happening of that era and like the larger kind of yeah, underground yeah. rock or whatever. But like the the next segment I call uh, what was their deal. And um, like you were hitting on Noah, like the big, I got big ass band trend. Um, so like, I mean, big ass bands, that's as old as bands as we understand it really. But I feel like in this, uh, like, you know, when they, like when bands started to move away, at least in this context of kind of bands, when they started to move away from just like the guitar driven sound or like trying to bands be a little bit more Baroque or whatever, there came this like upcropping of, huge bands like bands are like oh let's get all of our friends in here and all this shit so like yeah you're like no it's like <laughs> it became a selling point where it was like these guys are a collective they got yeah the collective the big the c word was huge back then there's always kind of a leader to emerge like i'd say kevin drew is the probably the standout but adrian you said you're reading the book is the book any good yeah i mean it, it's entertaining and it offers a lot of backstory to this because there's a lot more to it. I mean, all these bands, basically all of these dudes, you know, were, have been in bands for the better part of a decade up to this point, you know, alternative bands, bands that kind of emerged out of the wake of Nirvana. Um, but none of them were ever hitting, you know, none of them, those bands were all like big in Canada or they had one or two hits in the U S and then kind of flopped. So this was kind of like their second act like this, this them getting together was them basically saying like, you know what, we're going to stop focusing on trying to get to America, trying to get to, we're just going to focus on our own community, make you know great music and hope for the best and fucking <laughs> worked spades for them because uh, once this record hit, like they just kind of blew up in the indie scene. Uh, the first pressing of like a thousand records sold out pretty much immediately locally um and then they repressed it a year later and that's when things sort of happened for them in the u.s and and elsewhere but yeah this anybody jump on great. i don't know did they make any vinyl of this album because i wonder if you could on discogs how much that original mm. got in the people is going for well good thing we got a guy on the on the ones and twos looking stuff up for us Adrian, why don't you uh, pull them up on Discogs and do a little six hundred, you know, a, li a little filter by okay, highest to lowest. Six hundred. I'll set the over under at six hundred. Less or more. Let's see. Original pressing. I met a dude once who's a programmer for Discogs, and I uh, I had a heart. I like had half a heart to like say like, what the fuck do you do? Your your interface hasn't changed. Since like 1996. He's like, yeah, I showed up day one, <laughs> knocked it out of the park. I get a fucking check, bro. Yeah. 2000. Yeah. You like server maintenance or whatever. Yeah, I don't fucking know. But I'm like, yeah, this shit is ugh, evergreen. Caleb, how often are you on Discogs a day? Daily, daily, multiple times a day. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. How many? I didn't ask you how often in a week. I said a day because I know it's like. I'm going to say the over under eight times in a day you log on to, to this Cox. Uh, let's see. So I'm going to, yeah. What's up? What's the, yeah, what do we got price wise on that? Actually looking for 
I'm not sure I'm finding original pressings. I think that they didn't put it on, they maybe didn't. Probably no vinyl. Probably no vinyl for that first pressing, although who knows. But Yeah, CDs um, were king back then. Um, but the, the reissue, which came out a couple of years later in 2003, or a year later in 2003, is uh, up to you know, $100, $200. So I'm sure if, if they did press that early, early vinyl, it's probably, you know, that. at least $500, $600. Right. That's always yeah. me about like record collecting. It's like all those albums, like the whatever, the baby, dead baby album for the Beatles. All those albums are like claimed now. So the ones that are worth money are like the Marilyn Manson vinyl from like <laughs> two, like just from the CD era. Those are the valuable records now. It's kind of funny. And it's like, who the fuck is buying that shit? Is that the one where you can remove uh, the jacket so the album can suck its own dick? Yeah, you can remove <laughs> the jacket. Yeah. Um, okay, so Caleb, did we hit on what's their deal? I think kind of just that. Uh, yeah, I mean, we kind of did. I mean, like the one thing of like, what's their deal? That, I mean, Adrian really hit on was like, yeah, the, the, the collective element of them. But I think like... I think they exist in this time where like, you know, bands like the polyphonic spree, the new porno, new pornographers, fellow Canadians. It was just like really in vogue to have a huge amount of like stage presence, have all these people on stage and like pull for all these different bands. And like, I mean, then like the collaborative element has always existed in recorded music for sure. But like it became like this quirk, you know, uh, at least in this kind of scene. There was but I have to say a lot of those bands like aren't very good. I mean, at least with broken social scene, like I just, I think a lot of the, their satellite bands, I don't really know what happened before, but like a lot of those bands that were happening concurrently and after it's, it, it's just kind of bunk, <laughs> like insipid, just fucking kind of dialing it in. Well, you know, I like I've listened to an Amy Milan solo album before. I've listened to stars more than I'd like to admit. And it's, I don't know, man, it's a bad broken social scene, <laughs> but yeah, I just, I don't know what it was like. I'm not a scholar by any means, but I was just like, what was going on to where like that was like a selling point or like why that was like, it was like, it was like people, if there was ever a song with like more than two singers on it, people went fucking gaga over it for some reason in the 2000s like 2002 2003 polyphonic spree is like prime example yeah and they broke big there i think they're like on a major label or something too so it's like i mean they, they were on fucking scrubs bro like of course they're yeah like um <laughs> they, they played the vmas the mistake yeah i think that sounds right i think i don't know it's interesting because broken solar scene was definitely the first band in my memory that kind of had the that collective descriptor and kind of was the start of all that. And it really, for them, it just came about, you know, naturally as an evolution of just, well, we're just a bunch of weirdos playing together. I think by the time it got to polyphonic spree and stuff like that, then it become then it becomes like an indie, you know, yeah, it becomes a, a trend or whatever, you know, and then it loses something, you know, I, I like some of the polyphonic spree's music, but it's, it's definitely much more calculated or, or at least more, the that image was, uh, is much yeah. more a part of it than the music, you know? And I think that's where they lose out. Whereas Broken Social Scene, it was like all about the music. Yeah. Yeah. Totally. These guys look like, nor do we want to know what they look like. 
<laughs> I have to say though, let's before I can go any further, broken social scene. Uh, worst band name or like a crime against humanity. That band name. <laughs> See, I go back and forth on it. I, I sometimes I think it's. <laughs> I think it works for the, what they sound like and what they're told, what their deal is. But yeah, it's kind of. <laughs> Broken social scene? Like, what the fuck? That's like a teenage band. Um, and what really sticks with me is the amount, like, even in the short amount of time we've been having this conversation, the number of we've had to say scene, like, <laughs> referring to Canada and Toronto, it just makes it seem like not a bad name, but a fucking lazy name. Because it's just like, hey, we're all part of the same scene. It's like, let's just fucking embrace it and just go for it. When it comes to music, the word scene is just a bad word anyways. And then you put it in your, you know, like whenever you hear somebody's talking about the scene, you're like, shut up with your yeah. scene. Because the scene usually means like six bands and a bunch of hangers on. And then like, yeah, like 12 people at that show. Is that, is that really a scene? <laughs> that you talk about? Yeah. I mean, like Toronto is like a huge city. <laughs> like, so. I guess you yeah. know they had a lot to pull from, but. but I heard that nightlife sucks because the the social scene it's all it's all broken. <laughs> you know what? I have been I have been to Toronto and uh, Toronto, however you say it. Um, Toronto. It's a cool. City. I went in fucking January, which was a horrible idea. Um, but I'll it is kind as- of a broken. It is kind of a broken up city. It's like really, it is pretty spread out. There's a lot of sick neighborhoods. Um, yeah. Yeah, it's pretty dope. It reminded me of like Chicago a little bit, but I don't know. It's cold and it's weird. Like you think you forget that you're in a different country. Caleb, is... when you got off the plane, did you ask the cab driver, like, take me to the social scene, sir? He's like, I did. He's like, oh, how do they talk? He's like, hey, it's all broken. Hey. No, he apologized. He's like, sorry, it's all broken. I got coffee though. Hey. And then I was like, all right, just, just take me to Second City then. And he's like, oh. This is the first city. All right, let's on. We've talked enough shit. Let's talk some <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, let's talk some more shit. Um, yeah, all right. So, you know, let's let's just go into it. You know, let's run it down. Um, what what are what are your all like personal histories with this album? Like, what's your listening history with it? Like, what did you think when you first heard it? What it means to you? All that good stuff. And I guess like uh, let's just go in alphabetic. So, Adrian, what do you got for us? So in listening to this record, it brought up actually a lot of memories that were not necessarily repressed, but certainly stuff that I hadn't thought about in a while. Um, Yeah. yeah, So like on, on first couple listens, I was like, man, I I remember being, you know, a junior senior in high school and this right. Listening to this record blasting in our friend uh, Jay's car, his uh, bone Camaro, as Caleb calls it. Uh, and just like, (laughs) and just being super stoned and a teenager and just listening to this record and feeling like really just, I don't know, it's a life affirming record in a lot of ways. It's a really like uplifting record in a lot of ways. So just, just being in those moments where you're, you know, kind of aimless and driving around and bored and small town, that feeling, you know, it came back when I listened to this and, you know, um, that was a big record for that time. That was always playing in the background for me. Uh, I remember another car trip 
uh, with Jay were coming up to the Bay Area and uh, with a couple other friends. And he, he was driving like a maniac as he used to back in the day. And it was raining. And I remember just the windows were kind of fogged up a little bit and the street lights were kind of, you know, melting with the, the raindrops. And it was like this really romantic kind of feeling. Listening you, to guys record. Some, you guys smoking some... <laughs> Oh yeah, we were uh, stoned well, to the yeah. gills, as they say. <laughs> you guys were. Um, <laughs> they say stoned to the gills. I believe that's reserved for cocaine. Yeah. yeah. Um, you know what, guys? I'm just gonna put it out there, listeners. This is a 420 friendly podcast. So fucking get over it. We smoke weed. We'll get around to the record, but this is a primarily a cocaine podcast. We're fucking. <laughs> Yeah, we're really channeling early '70s drive time radio. That is our vibe. Um, Sorry, yeah. So basically, that was that's it. Is like stoned teenage, you know, aimlessness is basically huge for me for this record. But uh, yeah, I'd like to hear what you guys have to say. Yeah. So personal histories, I can just go into mine. My name, my name being Caleb, and we're going alphabetical here. Yeah, with this album, I feel like I was a I knew of this band, I, like my, um, o- our older brother, uh, Isaac and our other brother, Zachary and, uh, my brother's ex-wife, Christina, they were really into this band. And I think they had like burned copies of the CD that I listened to, like in a car smoking weed at some point in high school. And I remember like going back to what Noah's saying with like the name, um, the name like tripped me up. I like, I couldn't make heads or tails. I was like, what kind of band is this? Is this like, you know, like you hear it and you think of like those band names that like they're not artistic band names, like the average white band or like, you know, like just like a weird band. I'm like, I don't know what to make heads or tails of that. Um, so that always tripped me up. Like a pop. What's that? It almost sounds like a pop punk band. Yeah. So it's got <laughs> have like a weird meta name and that kind of like tripped me up. And also people say it really fast. They're like, Brooklyn Social Scene. I'm like, what fucking words are you saying? They're like, Brooklyn State. And I'm like, okay. And then if you like hear of this band, you know, you hear about it from mouth breathers. So like they talk dumb. So it's like, yeah, Brooklyn Social State. And you're like, I don't, I fucking can't understand what you're saying. So I got, I was confused by this band at first. But then um, I kind of, what I call like my indie awakening or my indie dumb was like in around 2006. Um, after like I had come back from a, uh, oh my ride's hey, here. That's my ride. ride. Yeah, gotta go. Uh, yeah. Speaking of the law, uh, 2000 summer 2006. Um, I came back from uh, my first school and um, still in the house, and Adrian was still around hometown, and um, there was just like a lot more exchange about different kinds of bands and different kinds of sounds and stuff that was going on. You know, it was kind of out of my kind of like punk kind of phase and metal phase, uh, which I picked back up very aggressively for many years after that. Um, but yeah, so it's kind of in this lull and then just kind of started listening to more indie rock and um, Broken Social Thing was definitely one of those bands. And they, I didn't realize how popular they were, well-known they were. And um, just, I remember listening to it and just feeling like it was just really laid back and it was like a good time. And kind of back to them being just like a bunch of friends. It, it's like a hangout band. It's like a hangout album vibe. It's just like, you know, you kind of get this visual of, you know, it's like Dazed and Confused, 
band or whatever. It's just like a bunch of people interacting with one another, just jamming out, just figuring it out and just making like these really compelling tunes. It's really heartfelt. I'm sorry, no. What do you got for me? And it was a hangout album. Did uh, Quentin Tarantino direct this album or what? I will bet dollars to donuts. Tarantino has never heard of this band. No, he's he's big in the. Yeah, I bet I he. he I bet he's a fan. I bet he's a fan. Huh. The five, six, seven, eight on blast. That's true. Yeah, but like you know. I don't know. I think it's different from the movies of like a hangout band. But yeah, it's just like I just maybe it's just because I was hanging out with a lot of people doing various things. Um, and this album was kind of always on in the background. And yeah, I, I thought at the time it was just like really heartfelt. There's some sad songs on it. But then like you respond to the jammy quality of it. And I remember thinking it was not just like your guitar driven indie, you know, it's kind of my, it was my like frame of reference at the time. It was, there was a lot more going on in like the density of it. And um, just all the instrumentation was like really cool and deep, deeper, uh, but on like a very kind of mild laid back, like kind of foundation. And I thought that was a cool, cool approach. Um, yeah. 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 What about, you know, what's your kind of background with this band? Yeah, so I had kind of, uh, I at one point I connected to this album like on an emotional level. I think it was just the time I listened to it. Aww. So I would have first, <laughs> I know, I was like, fuck, why is the social scene broken? Can it be ended? Um, but no, I would have first encountered this. Yeah, you mentioned uh, our brother's wife at the time. I think that's when I first heard it. Driving she had around seen him live like, a handful of yeah, times, early. I want to say. Yeah. I don't know how in Santa Barbara, but. Their first tour. <laughs> yeah. St- no, they would have been up in the Bay by that time. Yeah, that's true. That's true. But um, but then I really listened to this. This was a dorm room banger for me when I was living in the dorms at uh, Santa Cruz. And me, myself. Hey, hey, and my hey, this group- is a family podcast. We don't hear about dorm room bangers. That's later. <laughs> Woo! <laughs> gloves are off condoms are off boys i will say though to that note this is definitely an indie rock makeout record like no doubt about yes. that oh. yes this is get your yeah. dick wet album for sure <laughs> this is a sex album i i put several really times in my, no- in my notes i put ooh breathy vocal alert breathy vocal <laughs> yeah. yeah at one point but my yeah. notes were stuck together because of this album but so i would have listened to this in 2003 2004 and uh like i said me and my roommate at the time were listening to it a lot and it was caleb it's funny we were talking about and adrian we were talking about the big band indie thing it was like this album fucking polyphonic spree i mean a band that i still really like but kind of like bell and sebastian you could almost put into that big band indie yeah totally yeah it's just like a lot of sounds and if, and if and it sounds like a band that that records like kind of all together like it has yeah. that vibe i don't know how they record it's like it, that but... chamber pop kind of vibe where there's just like a lot of going so on this a lot is... of interplay yeah this was a big album i feel like a lot of people were listening to it around the, when i was in at school and i may or may not have even put 
a song or two on an old mixtape for uh, you know, somebody I liked. But uh, oh, yeah, I was thinking about that now. I think I put like anthem for a seven or wait, let me say the title that I like to call it by. I have it written down. AFA seventeen yog. <laughs> that sounds like a chemical now. weapon, but yeah. <laughs> I, I put AFA seventeen yog on a mixtape, and I was thinking about that now. I was like, shit, if I put that on a mixtape for like my wife, that's like grounds for a divorce, and I should be jailed <laughs> at my. <laughs> like. And, uh, uh, I, just, I gotta say, I was listening to that song today, and I'm sure we're gonna talk about it later. But Jen, uh, we were listening to it in the car earlier, and she was like, she was not a big fan of the song, and she was like, "Who the fuck wants to make a song for a 17 year old?" And I was like, "No, no, it's about being 17." I think and she's like, "Who the fuck wants to like revel in being 17?" And I was like, eh, "That's a good point." Oh, you're talking about fucking don't disrespect what's her name. I learned the truth at 17. Carly Jenny. Simon, bro. Or Janice Ian, bro. <laughs> Does Janice Ian see- count as having two first names? Does that count? Hey, kind of like gender different. Now, right. Kind of a masculine Janice- feminine kind of thing. Yeah. Oh, great movie. We can be honest, right? That '70s singer-songwriter shit sucks. Yeah. Anyway. Whoa, 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 whoa! That's a that's a whole different pod. <laughs> I'm also a '70s apologist, so. <laughs> but, uh, I think we all. Are. Anyway, so I listened to this album a lot, like 2003, 2004, and then I fucking dropped out of college in 2004. I started Facebook. I became a disruptor. Um, no, I. Fucking dropout, dude. <laughs> uh, my life. And uh, I was living in back in my hometown. I was living on like a couch. And this was an album that I would put in my old disc man and just walk around aimlessly around town. I was spending a lot of time at the local library because they had a great CD collection that you could check out CDs. So I was diving that, in deep. There's a whole podcast episode. Like, yeah. That's that was a very important. Shout out to the Santa Maria Library. Santa Maria Local Library. Mrs. Who's the the, the library? Uh, Mrs. Newell. Newell. Mrs. Newell. Yeah. The other one, though, too. But anyways, they had they always had stacked movies and stacked CDs. So I was spending a lot of time uh, walking around town, listening to albums on this man, and this was certainly one of them that stationed. And uh, I think at the time I was, I could say it, I was fucking depressed and aimless and, you know, it only lasted like 10 years, so it's not too bad. <laughs> but, uh, it lasted longer but, uh, than this band did, so I mean, that's... That's not true, they're still around. Yeah, we'll get to that Can't later. Break up broken social scene, bro. <laughs> they're already broken. You can't break what's already broken. That was their gimmick. They're like, wait a minute. All fucking soul will never be able to break up. Like, oh, yes, Kevin Drew. I must say, though, too, guys, I kind of panicked. I had to do like a real quick listen to this album because I I thought we agreed we were going to do Broken Social Scene Presents, colon, Kevin Drew's Spirit If, dot, dot, dot. (laughs) 
from that I get into. <laughs> I love how that yeah. series I, ended. I, I, a... I love how that series ended after the two primary dudes made their records. Yeah, <laughs> and they just yeah, we never we never <laughs> never got, got a feist. Yeah. yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, no, this, this is the album that I connected to, like kind of you know emotionally. Like I, it wouldn't be a surprise to me Aww. walking around town all bleary-eyed and beleaguered listening to fucking whatever late this record 90s is best for all about period. being in your feelings yeah. yeah yeah it's like right in that pocket but that's why so this podcast for me a lot of it is why did i lose that sort of personal and emotional connection to a lot of this indie rock because this is an album I listened to hundreds and hundreds of times between the year 2003, 2005, and then I probably put it on a shelf 2007 or so, never to revisit until recently. Well, I don't know. I find speaking of that, we could slide right into the next segment is our revisits. So, like, I assume both of you listened to this album pretty recently in in preparation for this podcast. And Kevin Drew presents Spirit If. Yes, I did. So you remember like when I put in the email, like uh, in bullets, a number of times you must listen to this album before this podcast. You guys did that, right? Yeah. You need two hours to listen to this. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, yeah. So like I said, you're supposed to listen to it before we do this fucking podcast. And I really hope you guys did that. Um, anyway. Adrian, put us back on track here, buddy. What was your. All right. All right. All right. That's my job. Well, yeah, what are your reactions now? What are your reactions now? Like, so, okay, it's funny that you were joking about this, but I did listen to this record probably eight times since last week, since we decided on it. And the most recent, this, this, the most recent was this morning. And, you know, it's just, to me, like this record, it's, you know, on the re listen. It, it still hits in the same ways that it used to before, even though I've heard these songs at this point, hundreds of times, maybe, you know, at least dozens of times, it's still all of the peaks and all of the, you know, all of the little bits that give you that little endorphin rush. It still works for me. Even after, you know, the 10th listen of the week, even after the hundredth listen of all time or whatever it is, I don't know. I've definitely listened to this record a lot and it still works. Uh, I, but now, like, I don't connect with it the same way I used to as a kid when it was like, you know, you're in a small town and you're dreaming on moving away and, you know, it's wistful and it's romantic and it's, you know, it, it's all these things that, that are built into the record and the sound of the record. But now I'm looking at it as a piece of art and a piece of how it is a piece of life-affirming art. And um, one of the things, the big things I noticed on these few listens now is like how cinematic this record is not just in terms of like the sound, because obviously the sound is very layered and intricate and has a lot of things going on. You know, if you listen to it on like good headphones, you can hear so many little details, you know, weird little conversations, weird little bits from the studio that, you know, was probably just someone screwing around on a Wurlitzer or whatever, you know, or, or jamming on a guitar. Um, but just the way that it's, it's set up too was like, you know, it's interesting because the previous record was super ambient this record starts with a super ambient song, which to me is kind of a signal like, all right, here's kind of where we were. And then once that second track hits, 
where it's kind of, you know, the first track builds to this crescendo and then it drops you right into the next song. And that's sort of like, to me, sort of like if you are, you're watching a movie and you get that cold open where it's like mysterious and exciting and you're like, oh, how it sets a mood. And then you're right into the action. And so like once that second song hits and you're starting to go on and on, you know, into it, and then the, the vocals hit about halfway through, you're like, oh, this this is a different broken social scene than from before, if, you know, if you listen to that record. This is a kind of a different, you know, they're, they're adding more elements. And that that was huge to me. Like, And then I started picturing how all of these songs work as, as kind of these scenes of a movie. Like every song is sort of has its own flavor and is a little different. You know, you got the, you got some Bossa Nova stuff going on. You got some electronic stuff going on. You got some, you know, some rockers and some, you know, some more experimental stuff, but it all comes together cohesively as a whole because, well, one, the production is really good and the playing is really good, but also just thematically, like they're all kind of, you know, speaking about these big emotions, you know, love and heartbreak and, you know, uh, feelings, fucking feelings. And so on these few listens, that's kind of what I took from it is, is seeing it as kind of more as a, as a piece of art um, as opposed to like this kind of, uh, you know, living in it that you, you know, which you still do when you're listening to it. But I think when you're young, you know, you live in records, like you're saying, Caleb, like, yeah, yeah. this is a hangout record. Like, like yeah. I, I totally agree. Like it's something that you can just put on and feel good that you're kind of, it kind of envelops you and you just have like a, you have a, like an emotive response to it, but it, like, you can't really articulate what all the constituent parts of it that make you feel the certain way are, you know, and yeah. My mistake, didn't Kevin Drew or the Channing guy, what's his name? Honey. Brendan Canning. Oh, BC, as I call him. Yeah, BC. Didn't he, didn't one of them do like a soundtrack to an album? Like a composer? Uh, I think album? maybe composer both of them have. I think maybe both of them have contributed to to movies. And actually the first track on the Broken Social Scene record was originally demoed for a movie. So yeah, that all tracks. Yeah, I think they pulled like at some point, they did like a Yola Tango thing where like, they're like, oh, it's like, let's do soundtracks, you know? Uh, I do have a beef. Scores, sorry. that That first song. Let's go ahead and call it intro. Let's call that song an intro. We don't need another more words we don't need a title for that song intro is a perfectly good name for an intro to an album that's like some of my weird beefs with these indie rock guys where it's like really you got to fucking have a phrase for every goddamn thing like that's an intro to an album call it intro and you're good anyway wait what's are they calling it like a first movement or something and you're like get off of it it. no it's called capture the flag which uh, why does that need oh because it was you know it was a time where we we're like it was like nostalgia it's like let's let's play tag again let's capture the flag again we're being playful again why shackled by this domesticity and the malaise of being in our fucking early 30s or late 20s you know let's get back to capturing the flag what was the flag the flag evaded us and we need to capture it again our scene has been broken we play tap ball here in America, okay? We don't play that yeah. flag football. Yeah. Uh, no, but you know yeah, what? But... <laughs> I think Bob Dylan, he did all those stupid fucking oh, songs. Oh, you're going all the way back to Dylan. Woo. 
Dylan did all those rainy day women number 48, 50. Who cares what number it is, dude? And then I think everybody's like, oh, shit. Dylan titles everything all crazy. I got to have a title for everything. It's like, dude, here's your yeah. song title. What, what do you sing in the chorus? That's your song title. Thank God, Noah, you never got into like mid 2000s hardcore because you would have lost your fucking <laughs> shit. Well, like every band was like, but after uh, a like a song called, uh, <laughs> called, uh, fuck, it's about C. Thomas Howell. C. Thomas Howell plays the soul man, oh, shit yeah, like that. Yeah. It's just got like, they got certain, really long winded and like wacko. After a certain point, like song titles don't even matter because you're just, like sometimes you're just well, listening no, it to it seems like you have a lot of reactions. You have a lot of reactions to this album. So why don't we go into your uh, contemporary reactions to it? What do you feel about it now? So guys, this album was hard for me. It was a fucking roller coaster. I feel like I feel like you're I walking around Broadway, Santa Maria in like 2004 again. Yeah, I was trying to put myself back into those shoes. Just like, why did this connect to me so much? And I listen to it now and I'm like, it's okay. It's firmly okay. I think all the the more cacophony of sound stuff just doesn't do it for me anymore. Because it's like, I listen to fucking jazz music now. Like real freak out shit. And this is like indie jazz where it's like you know, there's even like saxophone a couple times appears and it's like it just doesn't blow me away like it just, it needs an editor this album needs to be edited like every song is like a minute or two too long and sometimes adrian you were talking about their first album i went back and listened to their first album and i'm like i think they were better off being an instrumental band in some ways like, I don't know, like, because a lot of these songs, it's like a two minute instrumental song and then the lyrics kick in and then you get three minutes of a of like a hook chorus verse song. And then every song has like a minute and a half freak out part where they're all jamming together. And it just seems like the whole collective thing works against it, where it's like, yeah, you got a banjo fucking lay down a banjo on the end of this song or like, hey, uh. How about this? All oh, you'll be able to hear my voice uh, directing the song, which is the case of uh, what's that one where it's like, okay, Kevin, come in at the break, where he's like trying to do like a calm response thing. I think this. My main note on this album was less fuss, more force. Like <laughs> fucking, it's a little too fussy, and the whole. Um, maybe I just had too much pressure on this album because. I did connect to it like an emotional level back when I was younger. And now it's just that a whole emotional connection is not there. And then the musicianship, I'm just also no longer there for me as well. But I don't know. What do you got? Adrian, you got a more positive vibe to lay down or Caleb, who's next? That would be me. Um, yeah. No, uh, I think, you know, it's, it's funny. It, my reaction to this album is, is almost like firmly in the middle of both of your reactions. Like, I still think it still has that laid back vibe. Um, I feel like all the cacophonous elements of it, like similar to Noah's like, 
you know, I've gone on to listen to, I'm not saying like, um, beyond, I'm over this shit. It's like, yeah, I've gone, I've listened to a good amount of jazz, listened to a good amount of like experimental. I listened to a shitload of metal. So like, like density and just a lot of act, sonic activity, um, is something I'm accustomed to. So when I listen to this album now, it almost sounds is how like many things are going on, but I feel like it still contributes to. It's still as I wrote my top note is it's it's still chill, and um, yeah, it's still laid back and it and it's still heartfelt and you know I'm like, it's not grating or annoying to me anymore. Um, not annoying. And, yeah, yeah it's but, still chill. That's you know, the name of the album. Cold. Cold. Yeah, and what what I what I couldn't like put a name like when I first heard it, I heard it more as like the songwriting and the lyrics and just kind of the overall emotional layers here now. But now like when on my last list and I listened to more of the actual playing and like what what I picked up from that and like it's interesting because I hear it as a really interesting pivot point in the era of music where like kind of whatever you want to call it indie rock or whatever it was kind of coming out of this phase of like sonic like, youth yeah yeah where it was still like heartfelt and you had cleverness and irreverence but then you had like kind of this other bands like the louisville bands and other bands new york bands and stuff where it's like oh we're gonna be a little more experimental a little bit more like long-winded and looser so i feel like it owes a lot to band tortoise like American Analog Set, Polvo, like those kinds of bands were just kind of like, for lack of a better words, they're dicking and vagging around a lot, you know, like musically. And I like that shit, you know, like I have nothing wrong with that, but like those elements of it, I got a little lost on. But when they went into just being more like heartfelt songwriting, you know, it's good. And, um, yeah, and I still think it's a really well composed album. Like the thematic ups and downs of it are still really strong, I think, you know, like and when the bangers bang, they bang really well. And um Bangers yeah. gonna Bangers are it... always gonna bang, but um Tortoise, Caleb, because they uh they in the book they name check Tortoise a lot as an inspiration. Yeah, and what's interesting is I listen like now it kind of evaded me as a youth, but I listened to a lot of that like late '90s experimental kind of like not like post rock or whatever the kind of shit that came out of like underground music that was like yeah owed a lot more to jazz, a lot more to like the Chicago band music, CNK, yeah, Chicago like band, Caleb, Louisville bands, that kind of shit. I listen to more of that now than I ever have. And then hearing Broken Social Scene do it, I'm a little less engaged by them doing it. And then other bands that kind of fully commit to it. And they're just like, oh, we're not gonna have any vocals. We're gonna do a 12 minute song. The bass is gonna be like super high in the mix. We're gonna have a dude doing sequencers, but you gotta appreciate all those different elements that they pulled, like they, that they brought into it at the time. So that's not lost on me upon the release. Kale, that's what my problem is. I think there's segments in every song where it's like they're coming together. They wrote like a weird punk. But it's like you can see the influences of Sonic Youth. You can see the influences of Tortoise. But it's like, do they do any of those well? Like, is, are they like, 
I would almost just rather listen to a tortoise album and then listen to a Sonic Youth album and call it a day and not yeah. listen to this album. I don't fucking know. Like, see, I, no, when's the last time you listened to a tortoise album though? <laughs> I listened to that TNT album with the cover with the dude smoking a joint. That, I love that album cover. I look at that album cover at least. <laughs> at least a great cover. <laughs> I think is drawn by one of the, the band members. Um, yeah. See, I, I, I disagree with you, Noah. I think. I, I like I get what you're saying about the fussiness and kind of like everything is kind of just so and put right in its place. And I think it's interesting because to me, like as much as I love this record, the record from them that I actually really probably listen to the most is the next record is is, is the self titled Kevin, Kevin Drew in the Spirit of <laughs> No Let's say together. Together. solo yeah. record. Um, no, <laughs> but Jason Colette. The next record, the solo, the self titled record. Before the solo records, the um, the, the self title that came out in 05, I think it does everything you're saying though, which is you know the elements that you like, but it cuts out a lot of the it, like the, the songs are tighter, but somehow it's still a little wilder too. So they they kind of you know, not that this record that you forgot in people is not you know loose or or free or whatever. It certainly is. I would say it's probably breezy might be a good word for it. Whereas the next record is kind of more wooly and wild and, and a little raw, raw around the edges. And I think that really helps them. And I think that that is kind of the mode that they've then continued for the rest of the time. Like they never really got back to this sort of ultra produced, you know, and not in a bad way, but ultra, you know, the sounds where everything's placed you know just in space and everything is thought they they kind of loosen their tie a little bit not that they would ever wear ties because these guys are all fucking flannels and beards but you know what i mean like i think that what you're saying about this record the next record they nailed it and that's why that record then became sort of their international huge success is because they took everything from this record the pop sensibility the experimentation the layers of no of sound the, the collectiveness song on that album though that, um, album, that, that album is completely lost to me. Caleb, that second album, Adrian, what you were just saying, I think it's exemplified in the first two songs, which I think are two bangers, and then the rest of the album is a little forgettable. But the first song, I think, is like, uh, It's All Gonna Break or something. And the that's second the last song. song. song called- oh, that song oh, okay. rules. Oh, that album. <laughs> I think the yeah, first song mind. was Shoreline or something. Shoreline, yeah. Yeah, it's I like think seven four that, shoreline or something. We would take that seven four again with the Bob Dylan fucking forty eight rainy day women bullshit. Or what's seven, that the four. Chicago song? What's that Chicago song? Oh, twenty four two nine whatever. Yeah, four twenty or sixty nine. So okay, um, the, but I the think first track is called "Our Faces Split the Coast in Half." Uh, seven four shoreline is another song, but I know I get what you're saying. But I think that that Shoreline song and then the It's All Gonna Break, those two songs are like better than this album. But, well, let's save that. Let's save that insights for the for the Patreon. Let's, let's listen to some songs first. Yeah, you know, first, let's take a little break and then we're going to come back with what we think are our bops and our flops. How's that sound, fellas? Slackers and slappers. And welcome back. And. We are moving into the titular uh, segment of these, this uh, inaugural episode of the podcast. So 
what we're going to do is we're going to go around. Everyone's going to have their day in court and they're going to say what on this album. Uh, let's do slaps first, whatever slaps. And then you say what's whack. So just give us your thoughts on a few key tracks. I could go first if y'all don't mind. Go for go ahead, it. Brother. I, I, I got my shit queued up. So, um, yeah, what I'm calling uh, my bops and flops is uh, I think a song that really bops because it, it encompasses like that, you know, like that layered kind of chamber music has a lot going on. It's very cinematic is the, is the second song, uh, the Casey accidental. Um, yeah. The pavement, the lost pavement B side Casey accidental. Hey, you, you, you'll get to say your piece at some point, but yeah, um, I was listening to that today and um, it really stuck out to me because like, Honestly, like that, the, the first like instrumental and this song's like a half ass inter- instrumental, half ass intro. I really think this album, this song sets the tone of the album a little bit better um, than the first song. Uh, not that the first song is a dud at all. Um, Adrian, do you want to play a little cut? Yeah, let me cue it up. Whoa. That was a little intro. Let's get some. Uh, let's get some vocals. Hold on. Yeah, such as they are on this song. Blast beat, Caleb. Is that a blast beat? Yeah. Yeah, I just think that song sets the tone. It has like really soaring vocals with like just kind of mysterious but like heartfelt lyrics. I don't know. That that, that one really got to me today. And yeah. the other the other bop um, on this album is "I'm Still Your Word I Can't Say." Um, I'm still your asterisk G, F asterisk G. That song. Uh, yeah, that song's just like really beautiful and like the way that they lay it down with that like slightly like jazz foundation, kind of like going back to like the, the bossa nova thing that Adrian was like mentioning earlier. I think that song's just like incredibly well done and kind of just jarring lyrically, you know, and um yeah, and it's, just like a little more a little more understated than than the rest of the album, you know, it doesn't have like the peaks and valleys that um they're on a lot of the songs or and where it kind of sits kind of towards the bottom of the album i think it's the second song um yeah just like kind of it's a really it's a really interesting wrap up to the kind of the whole experience you went through and it's like you honestly know the guy's going through some shit and um their experience is an experience i've never had and it's you know it's not my place to moralize or anything like that and it's just it's just like a really really gorgeous song and it's always stuck with me i mean beside the fact that you know it has a very particular word in the song repeated many times and is in the title uh you know so that makes it memorable but like i think aside from that it's just like it's a really profound song um so that's that's my other bop 
Yeah, Do before we hear I, some I, of that, or before I play a little bit of that, I just want to say that this band, although I don't, I'm not sure how if it, how many of the members or if any of the members are queer, but they have a queer vibe to them for sure. And reading mm-hmm. the book. There's a lot of stories of like, oh yeah, we all thought Kevin Drew was gay because you know he would be hugging his and kissing his pals, and and I think they were just much more open with their sexuality and not afraid to be kind of you know show uh, physical you know and and, and um, be physical with their friends and stuff. So I think that that permeates a lot of these songs, you know, kind of this kind of like <laughs> bisexual vibe. Like um, so, right, orgiastic. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, so here's a little bit of oh. I'm still your uh, F word. F dot dot dot. It's a possibility to live without this. Then it's love to fill up with all the broken kids. I swore I'd drink your piss that night to see if I could live. But my wrists couldn't stand the light that we missed And I'm still your fan Whoa, 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 cut it, cut it, cut it um, I, so, just a remark on that, Caleb Lover's Spin, Here's, the notes I had on that was I remembered the whole album sounding more like that song and like lovers really, fit, is that what you're saying? Yeah, it's really just. Yeah. The, I mean, it's, it's still it's your just uh, those two songs, really. Yeah, to have that. Yeah. yeah, there's a little EP in the back. I think the last three songs on this album is like a little mini EP that I really still love to this day. Um, I did. <laughs> I had in my notes for "I'm Still Your F" is a. Uh, is this what American football sounds like? Is that, <laughs> um, is that the, no but that's hilarious uh not not uh, not a strict no um yeah, I suppose. <laughs> american football is a really interesting band uh they suck um and they have oh, really I bad disagree lyrics. i completely disagree yeah, yeah they have bad lyrics i don't know but... i think i let's save this for a whole other like let's like yeah, episode we, 87 we'll, we could talk about midwestern uh, yeah, we'll get to that. But you're not you're not wrong, and you're definitely not right. Um, <laughs> but like, like, kind of speaking of like, just kind of dicking around instrumentally. I want to go. I want to talk about my flops on this album, uh, such as they are. Um, let's and, yeah. Let's let's, let's finish with the uh, with our kind of hits first, and then we'll get to the flops. Oh, uh, do you know talk? Talk I got about a couple your, about, of hits too, as well. Yeah, let's do our hits, and then we'll uh, talk about. We'll, we'll end on a down note. Real quick, I had the, uh, I had, uh, I'm still your dot as a low key slap. All right, starting from the middle. So, who wants to play another song, Adrian? What is your slapper of the album? Or low well, um, I have a few choices. There's a few highlights for me. Um, Almost crimes is i think a highlight of the whole record um it has great performance and great vocal performance from feist um she adds really great texture to that song um wait, wait, wait. Adrian, i gotta stop you there i thought that song was called almost crams because is that how canadians pronounce crimes 
almost crammed. If you listen to the way she's, she's like, I think it's almost crams. It's like, what? Is that how they say crimes in Canada? So we don't need to listen to a clip of that song because that was just like, that was like pitch perfect what the song sounds like. So you can save yourself some ram, Adrian, by not playing a song. <laughs> we'll just rely on Noah's retelling of it. That um, Am I wrong in saying that was kind of, there was not a breakout single, so to speak, but I think that was the song that, I think that's I think that and Lover's Spit, which I'm sure we'll talk to. I, I think those are the two like singles, Dang. if you will. Yeah. Okay, so that's interesting because the one that I do want to play is I think is the third banger here, which is cause equals time. Mm. Um and I actually just read about this in the book a little earlier today. Um, so it's interesting. They when they first started playing together as a ba- as broken social scene um they were doing kind of the instrumental thing kevin drew was like well we have these other kind of more pop rock songs let's break this off into something separately so they started this other band called um uh something i forget what it is exactly but it's something of 95 or sound of 95 or something like that because they felt like it sounded like dinosaur jr or sonic youth or whatever was going on in 1995 but then later they're like you know what why don't we why don't we just marry these two things together and then i think cause equals time is kind of the perfect example of that of them marrying sort of this you know weird dinosaur junior rocker to kind of the more ambient soundscape stuff um let me let me just play a little bit here Holy shit, without the beard, without the fucking beard, it's Jay Maskus. <laughs> I do not, I, I don't like that lyric, fornication crimes. That's troubling. That's, um, also, yeah, that's that's counselable, I think. Fornication. Oh, baby, it was just a fornication crime. Also, in my notes, I put like, it's got a Mark Kozilek vibe. It's like 80. They would have to be pitched down like, a hundred times slower for it to have Mark Kozlek crimes. Uh, I also wrote it my, Fuck that dude. Guys canceled. In my notes, I wrote chill vibes, good solo. I said, ew, breathy vocal alert. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely breathy vocal alert on this one. Yeah, but like, like just like with you teeing us up with that uh, Dinosaur Jr. like influence, you totally hear it. And it's, I don't know. I'm kind of like, there's a few bands. If your band sounds like this band, I will automatically like them. And Dinosaur Jr. is one of those bands. Like, I'll take any Dinosaur Jr. ripoff band or influence band over anything that's like a little bit more of an original idea, like any fucking day. It's just, it's comforting to me. Adrian, do you have another slapper that you want to play? Yeah. So, um, the other slapper that I have is actually an instrumental. Um, it's Pacific theme. 
Uh, I've always loved this track. This track was one that when I first heard this record, like immediately spoke to me. I don't know if it's because I just really love the guitar or the vibe of it, but it, it just has this feeling that's, again, it's super breezy, super laid back, and it just feels, it's a feel good track. So let, let's hear a little bit and, of that. And right we all now. grew up in the Pacific, by the Pacific. So we, we get it. It's in our blood. Baby. I also, though, <laughs> real quick, this song should be called Interlude. Much like the <laughs> intro interlude, we don't need more words, we don't need your theme in a song. Never. Yeah, so for me, like that song, just talk about vibes. You know, that song is vibes. Like it is a vibe. Like when people say a vibe, that's this song. I mean, from the name on down to the instrumentation, it's just, it's fucking, it rules. And I fucking okay. love that song. Can I do a little exercise with you real quick, Adrian? Um, so take yourself back to the year this was re uh, released. Talk about pure vibes. What would have been your Pacific theme? Like, set a scene for me with that song playing, involving the Pacific, and then yourself in 2003. What I don't do even have to make it? anything up. I, I have a distinct <laughs> memory of going to well, the beach in the Bone Camaro, that song blasting, drinking tall cans, and watching the sunset, and just being like, this is the fucking life. Like, this I'm is fucking 18 years old, I am the shit, and this is the fucking life, and... I still get that feeling when I listen to it now. Yeah. What beer? I still get that feeling when I drink tall cans and drive. Which <laughs> yeah, what beer? Adrian, what beer are we talking about? Oh, that was that was probably the high life days for oh, me. Oh yeah. I High Life and Soul hit Santa Maria in a very deep way. That was High like, Life is a young, a young man's beer. Um there yeah. was a point where you buy, I shit you not, in the year of like Less than 10 years ago, well, probably more than 10 years ago, but about 10 years ago, there was a point where you could buy a six pack of tall can high lifes for like out the door, like 475. That's dangerous. That is dangerous. Yeah. yeah. On your way to the beach. Vibe out. On your way to the beach. And your dick sucked on. <laughs> yeah. All right. Um, One more track I think that we've all at least mentioned here or, or, um, is lover's spit um yeah. i don't know you, you, what are you guys thoughts on that it, to me it's like one of oh, another a, one of the killer tracks it's, it's a banger uh, to me it is like it is, it it is, is a song of the album breathy vocal alert i just have to put that out there <laughs> i'd be tripping i said this was like good cold good cold play <laughs> it was like, like that. it was all yeah uh could you <laughs> But it's like a better version. It's the Canadian version. And I also have a note here at the end. They like take it to church. Canadian <laughs> shit. All right, let's hear a little. Let's hear a little bit of this. Hold on. <laughs> I want to go to Canadian church. Ooh. 
Look at the stars. Look how they shine for you. All right, hold on. Let's get to the <laughs> let's get to the breathy vocals. Hold on one second. There's that orgy for you. Orgy. This, this man, you guys ever seen that? Uh, that you ever seen that movie? Uh, Autofocus is like Paul Schrader with a Kinnear. <laughs> and who else? Hey, is no, there? Wait, Kev, you asking me if I've seen Autofocus? I've seen it a hundred, a thousand times, just regular, and at least five times in slow motion. Yeah. Okay. So, yeah, that became uh, that became well, slang for me. Pulling an autofocus. Yeah, is Willem Dafoe the I'm, second? Is the second in that in that movie? What's that? Well, Defoe, Defoe, yeah. It's Kinnear and Defoe, right? Yeah. Okay, so there's this part in that movie where they're like having an orgy, and like I think Willem Defoe oh, puts his finger in Greg Kinnear's butt. He's oh, yeah. like, yo, dude, what the fuck was that? And and this word, I say it all the time, and it encompasses this album. He's like, oh, we were just having a group group. <laughs> I feel group like group. this album is a consensual group group, and it's beautiful. Yeah, I don't know. I think autofocus a lot. That's or funny because, um, in without in all the, like the, the the tragic, just horrible, <laughs> fatalism that happens. The awful, <laughs> the awful realities of the situation. But um, yeah, yeah. The uh, it's it's funny that you say that because uh, one of the descriptions of the of the band and I think of maybe of this record, maybe the last record, but someone said it was uh, the music that you listen to after you're coming down off of like doing E or, you know, it's the come down music. It's, it's the chill music after you've been partying all night dancing or whatever. And I think that totally suits this song in particular. Like it has that total vibe of like, this is like kind of like, yeah, you're like laying in bed with your lover and you know, you're kind of tingly from whatever happened before. Or lovers, also, yeah. Yeah, Adrian, I was joking around with the, the the Coldplay thing, but there was a time in pop music that did that echoey drum thing or piano drum thing. There's a drum thing. Mm-hmm. And I think I think sometimes I wish they just leaned into their more pop influences. And like not every song has to have a fucking noodle crescendo at the end of it. Like that lover spit is just a straight up fucking like three and a half minute slapper so anyways food for well, thought like something Noah, it feels like what? you have a uh, you have some thoughts about what your slappers are in some so my slapper i think we said most of them but i have to go back so this whole album was for me like an emotional reckoning like do 19-year-old, sad boy Noah, fuck boy Noah, whatever you want to call him, no dirt on the man's name. I thought, what was the song? And the song for me is still AFA 17 Yog. Anthems for a 17-year-old girl. God damn. 
Um, um, I, still I just think... want to make a correction in the in the episode notes. It says anthem for a seventeen year old biatch. <laughs> Whoa, Caleb! Why the fuck did you write? That? No, no, no. If you go you back can't... in the if you go back in the versions, it, that was written by not me, somebody else. I'm not going to uh, say who. But... but I put that on there. I will say too, real quick, before we listen to this song, um, I want to make a T-shirt that says Park Drop sleep dream oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and then and then maybe next next to the word park is a picture of a car next to the word drop is a picture of a phone next to the word sleep is floorboards i guess <laughs> next to the word dream is a smiley face the listeners will understand once we listen to a taste of this yeah yeah here we go here's a little bit of uh, anthems anthem Some nice banjo work. Let's get to some vocals here. There's banjo a couple times on this album. It was a very banjo rich time. Yeah, so I still, I that was still a song I connected to. I hate to say it, but I still do. Still did hit me in the the, the feels. I would say. Yeah, Caleb, what say you that song about that song? Um, I really like that song. I think it's like, I feel like it comes somewhere in like the middle of the album or something. So it's like, it's like really well sequenced. Number seven on 13. So yeah. Out of 13. Yeah. So like, you know, right there in the middle, um, it built a cool crescendo. And like um, I was saying earlier about that song, it's like, I don't know, without being too precious about it. It's, it's kind of what being 17 is. It's just like a series of these like menial fucking tasks. And I don't know. You have like a little bit more to look forward to. It's really nothing to be nostalgic about, but it's also kind of like where you can kind of see the exit signs when you're 17. You're like, I feel like individualism is just on the other side of another fucking year of high school. So um, it kind of has that, it kind of has that wanting vibe to it, you know? Um, I have never been a 17 year old girl though. Um, but I've known a number of 17 year old girls, um, Oh, jail. <laughs> oh, shit. When I was that age. <laughs> um, one note about that song. It is the second most played song uh, on their uh, Spotify with 23 million listens. Yeah. I also so, so I think it's just it's emotionally. It's like, I don't know. It's kind of pitch perfect in a way. It's yeah. It, I don't know. It has a vibe. It, it's vibe. Like, it's album. Adrian, I will say on Spotify, like you have to like make sure you're listening to an album on order. In order, they're always oh, trying yeah. to shuffle play. And so I'm thinking, like, is this a self fulfilling prophecy where they the 
the the songs that are the most played are just because it's always on autoplay. Like I listened to this album like three times on my headphone and it kept jumping to the anthem song, AFA 17 Yog. It kept jumping there. It's like, Jesus, you guys are really pushing this fucking song on me. <laughs> That's interesting. The algorithms, whatever, pushing it. I Because I, I feel like that this song probably works on a lot of other playlists so that's probably why it's been played so much um i always got it always was pushing almost crimes on me so when it, like when when the spotify automatically goes to the radio or whatever playlist it always hit almost crimes um so that's weird that's interesting i did uh let's see my notes here I like that it has banjo. I like the strings. Um, I, I I had a note. This song is one step away from being on like the pure mute moods. <laughs> uh, it's it's almost that. It's close. Do you think honestly, if they, moods, if they made pure moods these days, it would be called pure vibes? Totally. I you know what? I actually, honestly that pure moods record is a touchstone for a lot of people. Dude, music, I listened I to it recently. Good. They just it's fucking good. It just reissued the whole like history of it. That's great. You got the Mark Snow fucking X Files song. The X Files, the remix. You got Enya. It's my record collection and get the Mark Snow NYPD Blue fucking uh, theme song, where the record is shaped like a NYPD Blue badge. Oh, Oh, that's pretty sick. I know. I had to throw it out with the you know and all that but <laughs> <laughs> all right well we got to all our hits i think that's it unless anyone else has something else i know let's go let's go into uh into the wax uh right after this break all right you know we, we just talked about we enjoyed on this album um so let's go into uh, what's not so great let's talk about our our wax yeah this album is an orgy now we're getting into the part of the cleanup where it's like, oh God, I gotta fucking wipe my walls down. <laughs> oh boy. <laughs> really paints a picture. Adrian, what say you? So I actually had no duds for me. There is no song on this record that I felt was skippable wait. or droppable. So wait, I think this wait, is wait. a pure slapper for me. You don't. That late '90s bedroom rock for the missionaries. It has it has its place. It has its place in the record. I uh, excuse me. I believe the song is called L ninety B R F T missionaries. Um. <laughs> so yeah, I I'll defer to you guys. Whatever you guys you know felt were the duds well, or the Noah. If you need somebody to not like that song, look no further than me. Um, yeah, I gotta say the, the low lights, the flops, uh, of this album are the, the kind of instrumental interstitial jams, um, except the bookends, the ones that do, you know, the, the beginning and the end of the album are great, really the, but the ones, ones in the middle, the Pacific theme for me, and then the late nineties one, it's just a lot of dicking around and it's just a lot of like, yeah, like. Caleb. Kind of like half cooked, kind of jammy, Jim O'Rourke, tortoise, like, you know, like Chicago jam 
shit that just a little undercooked and and if not like unlistenable but just i don't know a little unnecessary doesn't really do anything for me it's just kind of a it's kind of it's kind of chaff amongst wheat caleb you mentioned the bookends i would say that pitter patter goes my heart terrible song title just call it outro how about that it's the last song on the album but i think that song's good i really like that song that's a low-key song yeah no like i was saying the the, the first one intro um and outro intro and outro are great uh because intro and outro makes me think uh bathory the uh you know the swedish black metal guy uh he always had an intro and outro make it a fucking death metal podcast well, it's not death metal but um go ahead do your chunk <laughs> <laughs> I'm just saying he had the right idea about how to name songs. Uh, no, so, so Caleb, what what is your absolute dud though? Uh, I would say I, I wouldn't say I would. You no, know, like Noah, you were talking about how the back end of it has secret EP in it. Yeah. I think that they have a, a what I would say is the flop EP is the four instrumental songs are like a different kind of oh. like rarities the first two songs the first and the last song are good but the middle two pacific theme and trying to be late 90s band whatever that song's called i would say are the two at, in called- aggregate are the are the flops caleb i have the title here it's called l90 b r f t um yeah there you go yeah i so I have a dud on here that I want to get AJ's opinion because I think he had it. He likes this song and I do not. And I thought I did <laughs> back in the day. I liked it, but upon revisit, this song annoyed the fucking shit out of me. And it's called something stupid title. What is it called? Where's the oh, LJLTS. What's that one? Uh, LJLTS. Yes, LJL the sun looks just like the sun i think that song's a fucking dud it gives me sublime vibes <laughs> it, are you thinking of the sublime logo with the sun <laughs> it looks just like the sublime sun it looks just like parentheses stone sublime and Parentheses, son. What album was that? The Sublime album where they had that sun on there? Was that four? Oh, I think that's I think that's ST, bro. Oh, maybe. I think that's S slash T. He's got the tattoo on. That's the tat. That's the tattoo that's on his back, though, right? No, it just says Sublime in Old English because he's from Southern Cal, dude. You gotta have Old English. Um, but I will say. It has laser sounds on that uh, on that song. Um, it looks just like the sun. He's like, what the fuck? Get out of here. <laughs> this is what I have in my notes, real quick. And then I'll let you defend the song, Adrian. All right. Because <laughs> <laughs> I assume you like it. No, he did. I said, vocals are grating. I don't like that. Keep it going. Like that shit, the background vocal stuff. It gave me drum circle vibes. <laughs> a, white, a white man's groovy song. It gave me sublime, sublime vibes. And I said the laser sounds are terrible. There's laser sounds a couple of times on this album that are bad. <laughs> Make your case, Adrian. 
Um, all right. Well, I had this on my honorable mentions list. It wasn't particularly a banger or anything for me or a, a huge standout, but it was definitely one of the better songs. I totally get what you're saying. It is a little cheese ball. Um, you know, the kind of bossa nova guitar and stuff, but that's sort of why I like it. I'm a big fan of Brazilian music and all of that, you know, the Latin rhythm stuff. I, you know, I can see your point. I think it is, you know, it's kind of slow. It's, it's, you know, it, it, I wouldn't be opposed to having it um, truncated or, you know, I, I, I think I, you're cover, you're touching on a lot of things that I, I totally hear, but to me, the song, it works in the position that it's in, which is towards sort of the back half of the record, right? It's, it's like you're saying, it's this sort of part of this, you know, three song oh, EP at the end there. That's song five. Which or I'm sorry. Uh, oh yeah, I'm sorry. Front, um, you're right. You're right. I'm the, uh, I got that confused with Lover's Pit for a second. Um, so, uh, but, but anyways, I think it slots in perfectly. Actually, yeah, where it is, which is between Almost Crimes and Pacific theme. I don't know. I just think I, I particularly like the vibe of it. I, 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 I think that the spaciness, the spaciousness of it with combined with the acoustic guitar and stuff, that's what works for me. And my it sounds main, like that's what doesn't work for you. So No, my main beef is the vocals. It's breathy vocal. <laughs> Well, why don't you give us a little, give us a little taste? Yeah, of what let's you're talking let's about listen to a little bit. Listen to this piece of shit. <laughs> got a good baseline i'll give it that i yeah, just like the groove was, of it i don't know i heard that song i would say that doesn't look like my song <laughs> it looks like the fucking moon it looks like the mailman's son is what it looks like oh yeah <laughs> so <laughs> i mean i i like the song i think it works and i think it fits the the, the flow of the record but if you wanted to take it off the record and just go straight from almost crimes into Pacific theme, I think that would work too. I don't know. All it's right. not a deal breaker. Well, Kayla, did you air your dud? Or... Yeah, I thought I thought my dud was the the two middle um, yeah. little instrumentals. Okay, those right. are and, and, and collective dud. So I think we can move on from that. We all said our piece about what works and what doesn't work. Real quick, which was like standout song kiki's song she liked the uh, stars and suns or what i call famous stars and sun <laughs> oh famous stars and stripes stars and straps clothing label but uh she just said she liked the hand the hand claps in that song that's the hand clap song basically yeah, I had that one on my honorable mentions list. Uh, and actually, it's named after the studio that they recorded the album at, um, Stars and Sons. And, 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 uh, and the not-so-good band attached to this band. <laughs> I don't know if uh, you... Yeah. It was also recorded, sorry, uh, just before, uh, before you get to that, No, it, it was recorded on the first day, uh, or written and recorded on the first day that they recorded the album. So, Did you, brand I mean, new to this record. 
Adrian, do you know where the hand claps come in? I think you get a taste. Uh, let's see if I can. Uh, let's see if I, I can. Like the last minute and a half of the song. Let's see. That's another indie indie big band trope is like hand claps like that. Yeah. You got the dude who's like the hanger on, who's like not a great guitar player, kind of a shitty bass player. Kind of like, yeah, you can clap hands on it, dude, if you want. I even kind of that. Sometimes it works where it's like, oh dude, homeboy's got a banjo. It's like we'll throw him on the fucking AFA 17 Yogs song. But it's like <laughs> Really need a band? Are you are you asking that guy to go on tour? He takes he takes a part of the purse. Like he's really getting paid to play on one fucking song, man. How do these guys make money when you got eighteen people touring? I don't, I don't get that. Oh, I think the answer think to that is pick- they uh, they didn't make any money. Yeah, um, at least not until they got popular. That- Which leads us into our next section: is uh, where are they now? And uh, you know. I have a counter question uh, to where are they now? My question is, who cares where they are? Uh, I don't know. I, will, I listen to, uh, mentioned he liked the last album. I definitely like. I mean, the album. The, the follow-up album's good, apparently, because I, I definitely I got reminded of that. I bought the album, the follow-up album, like the day it came out at the fucking Santa Maria Best Buy. Shout out! I went to a Best Buy today, actually, not in Santa Maria, but. They didn't have any CDs for sale. Did they have They're, records? They did have records. They had like seven records. Let me guess. Raekwon, the only built for Cuban Links, was that there? That record? No, you're thinking of Urban Outfitters. I know, but that record <laughs> yeah. always, always at the Target. It's always, it's always at the Target. It's always at the Urban. But um, yeah, it was more like Journey and then like just weird shit like Janet Jackson. Oh, Boomer shit. shit. Yeah, just oh, like something. Uh, Nirvana Unplugged was that there? Yeah, I feel like it was sub sub unplugged. It's somehow a different Nirvana that only Best Buy can sell. Unplugged. I don't know. It was just never mind. Yeah, I went there looking for the Broken Social Scene record and they didn't have it, so I got the fuck Where out. Where are they now? They just put out a record two years ago, which was good. What is it? The Hug of Thunder. Uh, yeah. What did, um, you, what did you think of that forgiveness rock record? Because that seemed to be like the one where people, via the self-title was like, "Yeah, it's really good." It got best new music, Pitchfork, but I feel like Pitchfork more championed the forgiveness rock record as like a return to form kind of situation. Yeah, I think it's. I wouldn't say it's a return to form because they never really left that form, but it, it I like that record a, a hell of a lot. I had, I listened to a bit of it um, going into this record. I actually listened to a couple of songs. One uh, Texco bitches is one that I really like a lot, but um, Whoa, <laughs> uh, I think those, those, yeah, those latter two records, I think 
they were fully back. They were fully in the mode of, of the self-titled record, which is what I touched on earlier, kind of a more raw, woolly, looser kind of vibe. I don't think they ever got back to the, the kind of tight production of You Forgot It in People. And I think it works for them. You know, uh, I, I don't know. I, I like the, where they headed and where they arrived at. And I think they're kind of, they've matured in a way, but still sound like the core broken social scene sound. So, for me personally, I only followed them to the next album, uh, self-titled. And I, my takeaway, I, I listened to that album again as well. And my takeaway was that album seemed just heavier. Like they leaned into more, the guitars there's less like kind of bleepy bloopy it's like more of like a death metal influence more direct I think. um yeah black metal it's more jammy more jammy rockers on those ones yeah so what's next ratings well oh no i mean we can't really talk about this band and this album without um hearing from our good friend out in Atlanta, our Atlanta correspondent, um, Nat. Shouts out to Nat. Wait, one of the absolute no. best. I He has an anecdote about this band that um, he called in and shared. So let's, uh, let's take a listen. Yeah, let me give you one second to cue it up here. Let's cue it up. I believe he's talking about live, seeing them live. Yeah, seeing them live, which I've never seen them live, so I deferred to him about his live experience. Neither have I. All right, here is a little bit, a little story from our friend Matt. Hello. So let me tell you a story about how internet porn kind of digitally cock-blocked us from seeing Broken Social Scene at the 2010 Treasure Island Music Festival in right smack dab in the middle of the Bay Area. Like literally in the middle of the Bay. So, they start off normal enough. I was fast tracking, which means you drink booze before you have any breakfast or lunch or whatever time you wake up within that meal period. Anyways, we were at one of our friend's apartment um, and then his older brother decided to I don't know, somehow just wanted to show us porn, which is like, okay, it's like, okay, we've all seen porn before, we've all searched that shit up every now and then, but so we went in this weird deep vortex or hurricane of porn videos, and like they weren't even anything weird or crazy, I think they were just pretty basic run-of-the-mill porno videos, you know? It was either on like Pornhub or like YouPorn or YouCom or something. Or UJIS, I think that's one of them. But anyway, we were doing this for like about two hours minimum. And yeah, we still had to make it to the festival. Broken Social Scene was, I think, the third headliner of the night. So yeah, we took the BART. And then we had to take the BART to AT&T Park. Or whatever the Giants call their baseball stadium nowadays. And we had to take a bus to Treasure Island. Uh, we get there. And um, seriously, we got there and the Burger Social Scene played 
Ibby dreams of payment and like that last kind of like climax part of the song where like all the fucking horns and the and the riffs kind of just start building up and then the song ends and yeah that was that and we missed tons of bands that day and then of course the worst part was we had fucking snooze fest the nationals played after that might as well fucking just watch two hours of porn on top of that so we so we would miss them but either way uh, I got to see Bell and Sebastian which was probably the reason why I went there anyways love your show bye wow so porn. We already have a fan. They already love this show. So uh, porn ruins live music experience is what we can all glean from that. <laughs> however, however, in defense to those people who missed the show, this is an orgiastic album. I think DSS would have said, go ahead, fucking jerk that cock, watch that porn, watch that porn, jerk that cock, sleep on the floor, miss the show. <laughs> Oh boy! Yeah, I mean, and the only place to go from there is. What do you guys feel about this album? What are your ratings? In in really? in the pitch in the pitchfork format, so you know you can give it uh, one. one to ten and any fraction thereof. One is the one, worst, ten is the best. No, uh, point oh oh zero point, point one zero. is the worst. 0.0 is the worst. 10 is the best. All right, let's hear Caleb. what you guys is. Uh... Caleb, give us your rating. This album, I will give, in true orgiastic fashion, a 6.9. Whoa. Adrian? Uh, I'm going to save mine for last, actually. Why don't you go ahead? Okay. He's going to save uh, for the climax. So if you would have told me if I was doing this podcast, I would have been in 2005, I would have been like, what the fuck is a podcast? But I would have said, this is a fucking 8.8. You know, fucking this is a perennial indie rock album that I'll listen to for years and years. Well, my initial reaction was this was a 7.0 album. But Further discussion and listening to some of the songs and the fact we established that it's an orgy album. I got to go with Caleb. It's a 69. It's a 6.9. You know, I eat the pussy, you sit, or whatever. However people pick nine. Yeah, 69 means a lot of different things these days. Let's not be so heteronormative about it. Adrian, what do you got? What do you got on the rating? All right, so I... I really love this record. I, as the apologist, this this record to me is one that stands the test of time and belongs in the indie rock canon. So I'm going to give it a ten out of ten. A perfect. Whoa! Oh, from the get first episode, we have a ten point oh album. Wait, 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 Adrian, you're giving this a ten out of ten. So you said you canonized it. You you're Ryan Shreve. Digging through the fucking boxes at Pitchfork Mansion, 
And so my question to you is, if you had to do like a top 10 of the decade of the aughts, are you putting this album in like the top 10? Yes, definitely. You just gave it a 10. All this right, might so even crack with, the top five for me. With final so score. This with is higher than this is higher. What'd you say? My six point nine and Adrian's ten. This brings us to around seven point nine percent overall rating. Pretty good. It's a C. It's a C. Wow. Well, you give this a ten. You give this the full Kanye. My beautiful dark twisted fantasy. Yeah, you give this the Amon Tobin, you give it the and you will notice by Trail of Dead. Like Yeah. Yeah, right, I think bro. it's up there. I think it's up there. Give this, the whole this did that Fiona Apple contend recently? Did that that was the last ten that they gave. That was the last ten. Yeah. They needed they needed we needed that. what that was, it was like a it was like a stimulus yeah, package. That was cool. <laughs> but Condé needed to give themselves like, uh, let's like move some money around. It's like the Fed, like whatever, giving trillion dollars to Fucking Wall Street or whatever. Not even the best Fiona Apple by a mile. It's like what you gave like her last two albums. Like to hear what Noah's favorite Fiona Apple album is. Tune in down the road. Um, okay, so that's the overall rating, which is good, you know. But the real true rating is: is it a slapper or a whacker? Would you rather? Listen to the number of tracks that are on this album, or listen to "Smooth" by Santana featuring Rom Thomas an equal amount of times. It would be thirteen times. So, would you rather listen to this album, track one to thirteen, or listen to "Smooth" by Santana featuring Rob Thomas thirteen times in a row? I gotta go with the thirteen times in a row. I'm sorry. Smooth is killing this album. And this is the album I once loved, guys. I'm a jaded fuck. I listen to like raw now. I'm like, what? This Canadian band's playing saxophone? Fuck out of here with that shit. I'm gonna disagree with you, but but I will I will extend an olive branch and say that smooth should replace uh looks Ooh. just like the sun on the record. Because oh. I think it slots in for the Latin kind of sound. It is yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah. Good call, Adrian. And then right into Pacific theme, I think that's a good back-to-back. Okay, but Adrian, my question, what if you keep, keep um, looks just like the sun, and then you just add Rob Thomas <laughs> sings the lyrics, and fucking Santana comes on there and sprinkles a little salsita on the top? <laughs> I'm with it. I'd love to see that. They probably played a show together. No, no, I don't think that ever. Uh, me personally, I'm I'm gonna split it right down the middle. Um, I do every other song, um, so it's it's an odd amount. So I'm gonna go seven songs, seven times. It's it's smooth, and the other six we got in these uh, BSS songs. Yeah. All right, well, should we hear a little bit of smooth to transition to our next? uh... Yes, of course. Yes. yes, Here is the 1999 classic Smooth featuring Rob Thomas by Carlos Santana. 
Puta merda. <risos> See, he even mentions the song. That song is a of a piece, yeah. It's breathy vocal. But you know, them being Canadian, they'll probably never experience a true hot one you know? you no this is what i want to see it's santana it's crap. santana's like at playing the show at like the Fillmore west he's like fuck man it's been 30 years since i've been here welcome to the state my good friend rob thomas and he's like and he's like and eh, a brother from the north the great white north kevin drew <laughs> Well, with that, it brings us to the uh, to the end of our episode. But you know, it's. Um, it being January seventeenth, two thousand and twenty-one, we have to acknowledge the passing of a uh, of a luminary uh, of music, um, and that is Phil Spector died today. Um, and complicated all legacy. Really, all well, I would say all you can really say about Phil Spector is he produced albums, did that Christmas album, and then he just kind of faded in the background, didn't do anything weird or problematic or fucked up beyond that. There might have been a. Kind of did his own thing, right? <laughs> I think he was out of the studio for a good 20 years because of uh, what do you say, legal? Yeah, I think he got into some legal troubles. You might want to Google that, uh, Caleb. Like I said, I haven't been following up with him. I just, I, um, you know. He was, uh, Trump was a big supporter of Phil Spector because he was like, build that wall. That wall. <laughs> the walls. <laughs> that walls. And then, you know, I already tried to get him pardoned too, but it, Caleb, uh, it was too late. You know who hated Phil Spector? Ronald Reagan, because he was like, Mr. Spector, tear down that wall. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Do we have a game? Okay. Just real quick, guys. No hemming and hawing. The game is called Are They Canadian? I'll just name off bands and you tell me, are they Canadian or are they not? All right, ready? You guys could probably just go together, just guess together. Okay, ready? Hot, hot heat. No. Not Canadian. Not Canadian. Fucking Montreal, brother. Oh, shit. Oh. oh. Montreal, Canada, or Montreal somewhere else? Yeah, Montreal, Kansas, or something weird-ass shit. All right, no, they're, they're right. Canadian. I didn't know that either. Damn. Okay. I did not know that. That's, uh, okay. that's wild. Delta Spirit. Who? Delta yeah. Spirit. I haven't heard that name in a while. Uh, I'm going to say no. Not Canadian. Yeah, I'm going to go Midwestern, not Canadian. And not the Midwest of Canada. Either. Yeah, I think they're like Brooklyn. <laughs> Wait, don't you have the answer? <laughs> they're like Brooklyn. 
okay. Uh, let's go, let's go, let's go. The Antlers. Oh, they're from like Western Canada, right? They're like uh they're from Vancouver, right? Adrian, All right, Canadian. Canadian, yeah. They're they're Brooklyn, baby. God Brooklyn. Damn it. Brooklyn. Yeah. All right, that makes sense. Canada of the East. Yeah, here we go. Here we go. The Twilight Sad. No, they're Scottish. No, no. Yeah. Famously. Yeah. Glaswegian. Yeah. Glaswegian. Okay. The Stills. That sounds like a forgettable indie band from like 2007. So I'm going to say they are Canadian just based on that. I'm going to disagree. I'm going to say not Canadian. Caleb got it. They are Canadian. Oh, were they on Arts and Craft Records too? Yeah, they might be trying. Which, by the way, go through that. Arts and Crafts. You want if you want a rundown of the most like insipid and forgettable indie rock of that era, Arts and Crafts Records is your. Adrian, what did you say? That's really funny because Arts and Crafts is literally Broken Social Scenes boutique label, basically. Right, it's right. Run by by them, so that makes a lot of sense. I actually like a lot of those bands, but you know, your mileage may vary. I went okay. through a, I went through a list of them earlier today, and um, can I, I just pull out a couple here. quick ones and get your reactions? Um, Timber, Timber, remember them? Timber, Timber. Yeah, Timber, Timber. Timber, Timber. Stills. That's trash. Um, All that is trash. I'll stop you right there, Caleb. Whatever you're going to say is trash. (laughs) (laughs) Moving on. Here we go. The Wild Beast. Uh, Wild Beast. Uh, Canadian or not Canadian? I'm going to say not Canadian. I'm going to say New York. I'm going to say not Canadian, but they wish they were. They're British. British? Damn. Close enough. All right. Here we go. Here we go. Tegan and Sarah. Oh, no, they're from like Kansas, right? Not Canadian, yeah. But I bet at some point in 2003 when we invaded They're Canadian? They turned to each other and said, I'm going to move to Canada. Wait, they're Canadian? Their whole thing, like their first album was called like Health Care for All. Oh, yeah. You remember when Tyler, the creator, like doubled down on talking shit about Tegan and Sarah? I was like, like, you, you don't need to like after that. they had been out of the conversation for like a good 10 years it's like oh it like we need to talk about them more like you don't need beef with Tegan and Sarah they're fine you, you would actually probably like them okay here we go here we go Ted Leo no he's from New York he was in Not Citizens Canadian. Arrest like in the 90s yeah I know so that one I thought was for me I was like shit is he Canadian he's from D.C. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. But Citizens Arrest is like his hardcore band from like New York. Three more here. The Future Heads. Not oh Canadian. Oh, that, they're from Austin? <laughs> Caleb, you're way off. Way off. We're not saying they're from. We're just saying they're not Canadian. So Austin and Britain is also not <laughs> Canadian. So I'm with Adrian on this one. They're from Liverpool, mate. They're the Future Ain't. Ain't. <laughs> Hey, these heads are the future. Am. Okay. Um, that Kate Bush cover still rocks. I'll say that. Yeah. That might be a later episode. Okay, here we go. The Besnard Lakes. <laughs> Besnard Lakes? Oh, are they Canadian? Shit. 
Who? What is her name again? Besnard. I'm gonna say Canadian, but I've been pretty off on this whole thing. So who knows? I'm gonna say they're like from like Baltimore, so not Canadian. They're Canadian. Okay, last one. Fiona's Ghost. That's a band that doesn't Canadian? exist, right? You made that up? Yeah. Caleb, you got it. <laughs> but that is a Canadian band, right? <laughs> that is no matter what. <laughs> Fiona's Ghost. Uh, you guys did good. I think you were like. All right, Noah, Noah, just to entertain us, what would the band called Fiona's Ghost sound like? Fiona's Ghost is like a star spinoff. Yeah, recommended if you like stars. <gasps> like a wispier stars? What's their first album called? It'd be called like The Problem with Goodbye. Yeah, no, no. It'd be, it would be called, <laughs> no, it would be called The Problem with Ellipses, and you would never know what the, the problem, problem was. <laughs> it I would wish- be like The Problem with Fiona's Ghost, is how it would be stylized. Your goodbye sounds like a maybe. <laughs> We're just stringing words together. That's indie rock. I'm a, I string words. Together. Yeah, it's just point counterpoint. Point counterpoint. Yeah. All right. I think we've had our fun. Uh, did we say what forever. the next episode was? We already did that, right? Not yet. No, we haven't. Um, coming yeah. soon. The next episode is. We're going to do a little Tristies on the album. Uh, clap your hands, say yeah. H-S-Y? No, I'm missing some of them. C-S-S-C-Y-S-H-Y? Or C-Y-S? There's two Y's, right? C-Y-H-S-Y. Yeah. That's how much we care about this band. But yes, <laughs> check us out. And that's it for tonight. Uh, check us out next week when we come back with uh, a little, we're going to do the Clap Your Hands Say Yeah titular album. And, and as always, we ask, what made Milwaukee famous? <laughs>